All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What's happening? What the fuckettes? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Thank you for listening. Today on the show is uh, Alan McDonald. Alan McDonald is a writer. He's a guy I've known for, uh, for many years from the Secret Club. Uh, he's written several books. He wrote uh, years ago, he wrote a, a book called Prisoner of X, 20 Years in the Hole at Hustler Magazine. He's also written a book of pieces, uh, memoir pieces mostly, I believe, called Punk Elegies. And his newest book, Now That I Am Gone, A Memoir Beyond Recall, is written from the point of view of him as a dead guy, that he's dead but he's one of the dark wizards and he's uh, he's been around a long time and he was been, you know, kind of dug in here in Los Angeles through the uh, 70s and the punk scene in the 80s. And I don't know, man, I just it's been a long time coming in terms of me talking to him because we had talked about it years ago. And now uh, he will be here. He will be here for your dark enjoyment, Mr. Alan McDonald. Hey, um, I told you about those UK dates. I'm going to tell you again, I tweeted them out, and now I know that they are selling quite well, so I wanted to make sure that I told you again and pronounce things right. I'll be at the Lowry in Salford, England on April 4th. I'll be at Royal Festival Hall in London, England, April 6th. I'll be at the Rep Theater in Birmingham, England on April 8th, and I will be, this is an Irish date, not a UK date. I will be in Ireland, in Dublin, at Vicker Street on April 11th, okay? And for you people who are L.A. bound or L.A. in or live here, bound or bounded by, okay? Dynasty typewriter dates are coming. February 10th, February 17th, February 24th, March 17th at the uh, Little Dynasty typewriter room, which is great. And I'll be at the Wheeler Opera House in Aspen, on uh, March 23rd in the Boulder Theater in Boulder on March 24th. All those tour dates are available for you to peruse and link to tickets at wtfpod.com slash tour. Okay? Dig it. Uh, Also, quickly, if you're in L.A. tonight, Thursday, the 31st, is there 31 days in this thing? Is that where we're at with this? It's... Yes, Thursday the 31st, my buddy Sam Lipsight will be reading from his new book, Hark, here at Skylight Books tonight. It's at uh, 7.30 tonight, and that's at 1818 North Vermont Avenue, all right? Go go see Sammy. Okay, now, addressing other things. I know a lot of you are cold out there. I mean, like, fucking scary cold, like shit. The steam is freezing as it hisses out of my radiator and falls on the floor while I'm under nine layers of blankets in Chicago, New York, D.C., wherever the fuck you are. I'm sorry you're going through that, but uh, things are changing climate-wise. And I just want to reach out again, as I usually do, to my listeners. I I just want you to know that heading into the next election cycle, if your primary concern isn't the survival of the planet and you choose your personal taxes and just a terrifying fear of, of, of brown people as your priorities, again, I will say... You're a shameful, stupid person. Uh, and I think maybe if a few of you are, are still listening and you're in sub-zero temperatures in uh, Minneapolis, far beyond anything like before, maybe you ought to take into consideration these things that uh, maybe the priority should be, hey, 
Can we still live on this rock? Can we? All right, that said, that out of the way, let's get on to important things like the reaction to uh, to my statements about Steely Dan. Now, I know that I, I was surprised. I, 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 there are things I talk about on this show that I think are mundane or just part of my life or just weird moments. That's what gets the feedback. That's what get people get worked up about. It's not like after I told you that I turned a corner on Steely Dan that I've spent the last three days nonstop, hour after hour, listening to Steely Dan all over and over again. I just had a moment. It wasn't like I'm like born again Dan. You know what I mean? So I get this type of email. This is, and now mind you, this is because I said I, I turned a corner in enjoying or being able to enjoy Steely Dan. Subject line, you lost me. I've been a fan for years and have found your cultural analysis to be interesting and often spot on. I may not always agree, but I follow your logic. Today, you said you had a big revelation regarding Steely Dan. You also put in two commercials before the payoff as to why you changed, which, by the way, was effective because I listened to both. Fine. I get why people like Steely Dan. I just personally have found it boring and sterile and lacking soul. Their music hurts my soul to consume. You turn the corner to the dark side today. And while I will continue listening to your podcast, it's likely most good things that have happened to you in the last few years will go away as a result of this revelation. That makes me sad for you, Dave. Do you think, Dave, do you think that Steely Dan has some sort of dark mystical power to extract something from my my soul and my mind and and also my the 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 sort of the past do you think that you 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 feel that i have signed or stepped into some contract with the dark lord believe me i know what those feel like this didn't feel like this and i and and fuck you dave for cursing me how dare you curse me? You put that in my head. Most good things that have happened to you in the last few years will go away as a result of this. As a result of me enjoying a Steely Dan song. Shame on you, Dave. The curse is upon you, Dave, for throwing around bad mojo like that. God damn it. But then there were plenty of emails that were like, Good for you. Welcome. Yeah, it took me a while to. I'm, you know, I'm not even going to dwell on it. I'm not even going to dwell on it. There's been a couple of interesting <laughs> emails. This one from someone, a woman named Sam just said, Marin, Marin, I really hope you figure it out soon. I'm getting tired of listening unless you have. And the show is a mirage. Love Sam. Sam, isn't it all a mirage? Come on. Figure what out? I just figured out that I kind of liked a Steely Dan song a little more than I used to, and now I've been cursed by a guy named Dave. Cursed. He heaved some bad mojo my way. Sam, I have figured it out. This is a mirage. The mirage is part of figuring it out. Come on, Sam. Come on. Oh, this is a good one. Here we go. Subject line, crowd work. 
Hey, Mark, listening to the Brad Garrett episode made me remember experiencing some of your crowd work. I saw you in Bloomington last year working out your new stuff. And at one point you got up from the stool, walked to the side of the stage, looked at me and said, how's it going? In that moment, I thought you were asking how I was doing, so I said something along the lines of good. You said okay, went back to the stool, and continued on with the show. It didn't hit me until later that knowing you as I do from the show and your struggle with insecurity, what you were probably more likely asking, was the show good? The answer is still yes. It was a great show and a highlight of 2018 for me. Just wanted to share, and I hope to see you on the road again in the future. Jake, Jake, I got to be honest with you. The way you describe that, I know exactly what those moments are for me on stage. I don't know if you were at that show alone or you were sitting with people or either way, you were probably sitting very close to the stage and I probably looked at you a couple of times and you weren't laughing and or I thought you might be a scary person. Like you might be like not only not laughing, but maybe ready to pounce or shoot or, or, or I'd sent something that rubbed you the wrong way, or you weren't paying attention. But usually it's me disarming what I perceive to be a threat of some kind. So I don't know if you look scary or maybe you were, you're a very intense person, but usually if I'm checking in like that, it's literally to make sure that, uh, that you're not a, a scary or mad person. Mad meaning crazy or mad mad. So... You weren't quite right, but you were a little right. It was a little bit about insecurity, either because you weren't laughing or because you you might uh, you might kill me. Okay, now let's let's do a, a heavier email since we're in it. Your help with my opiate addiction, Mark. I want to keep this short and sweet. I know you're a busy man. I've been a heroin addict since I was 20, and I am. 29 now, and I've been an avid listener for about a year now, around the time I decided to get on methadone and put down the needle. I listen to your conversations almost every day on the way to the clinic. I'm recently divorced and decided to kick the methadone cold turkey, and I'm certain I couldn't be doing this without your talks. It keeps my mind off this demon I have on my back for the rest of my life. I feel a kindred spirit in you in some ways, you with your own addiction issues and your love of nicotine and caffeine. Basically, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. You help people every day more than you may know. Thanks, Mark, with a C. Sincerely, your fan, Al. Al! God damn it. Try to stay off it, man. Try to stay off it, buddy. I know it's hard. It's a fucking hard one. God damn it. I'm glad to help out. Seriously, glad to help out. Now, on an unrelated note, I got two emails about my streetlight, the new streetlight. I talked to you guys about the streetlight on the street that they put up because there were people hanging around under the streetlight in their cars. I would never have thought about this, but I got two related. So here we go. Um, streetlight and in parentheses lurkers. Hey, Mark, just a heads up that you should find out if that shady area slash street happens to have a Pokemon gym and or poke stop nearby. As an avid player of the popular GPS-based Pokemon game, I've been that suspicious person and had to explain myself a time or two. I've even had an angry older gentleman explain to me that if he sees any of these things, 
imaginary cartoon pocket monsters in his yard, they would get the business end of his 12 gauge. So I try to keep my habit only in public spaces, parks and such, because I am now aware that playing the game can create a side effect of creepiness in residential areas. The shotgun incident happened in my own neighborhood at the opposite end of the street that I live on. But unfortunately, there are a lot of players who give us all a bad name with a slew of bad manners slash habits, some even worse than the one which might be happening in your neighborhood. Anyway, if you install the app on your iPhone or Android device yourself, you could figure it out pretty quickly. Otherwise, look for your nearest neighborhood teenage slash 20-something. They will most likely know. Thanks, Matt. Matt, I see what you're doing with this. I see what you're doing with this. Earlier, I had Dave cursing me because of my Steely Dan uh, shift, and now you're trying to suck me into the world of Pokemon. I know what you're doing. I know. Hey, man, if you want to know, just download the app, and then there, there, then I'm one of those guys wandering around, going in circles on corners. I get it. I, you know, I'm no dummy. I wasn't born. I wasn't born yesterday. Here's the other one, though. People parking. Hi, Mark. In the Brad Garrett episode, you mentioned mysterious people parked in cars down your street. I had the same issue about a year ago. And after seeing some of them get out of their cars and wander around (laughs) while looking at their cell phones, I started thinking maybe this is a Pokemon Go hotspot. A couple days after I had this thought, I was out for a bike ride. I saw two guys in their late 20s walking around that area. So I asked them if this was a Pokemon Go hotspot. Yeah, it is. They confirmed my suspicion. I told them I thought they were either selling dope or catching Pokemon. We all had a good laugh. Then I bought some pot from them. Just kidding. There are still cars parked regularly down my street. Who knows? Maybe you are living next to a Pokemon Go hotspot. Ask a gamer to check it out for you. Sincerely, Mitch. So this is a better way to go. Now I just have to find a gamer. Like I got a feeling that on my street it wasn't those guys. They seemed older. There were there were definitely women sometimes in the cars, and they were leaving drug paraphernalia on the street. Now, unless the monsters are druggies, and that's what happens when you play Pokemon, I don't know. I don't. But uh, I appreciate that the idea that maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it is. I do not know. So, this brings us to our guest, right? Alan McDonald's, as I said earlier, is a guy I know. He's written a few books. But he's a guy I wanted to talk to because he's he's lived one of those lives sort of in the shadows of punk rock and uh, CDLA. And I don't get a I don't get a lot of uh, the history of L.A. trip from that point of view. I've had a few musicians on that come from that. But Alan was really there through all of it in this approach to memoir, which is uh, his new one, which is now that I'm gone, a memoir beyond recall is available wherever you get books. As I said, he's also the uh, author of Prisoner of X, 20 Years in the Hole at Hustler Magazine, and Punk Elegies, True Tales of Death Trip Kids, Wrongful Sex, and Trial by Angel Dust. But that being said, uh, because of our familiarity with each other and because I, I like the guy, we were able to sort of jump right into it, man. Jump right into it like a couple of members of the Secret Society are able to jump right into it because we got a shorthand, man an emotional, psychological, storytelling shorthand with each other. And uh, so this is me talking to Alan. Enjoy! How many records do you have? 
Yeah, I haven't counted them. I, like about? About thousands. I'm thousands. pretty sure I have thousands. I had a, a period uh, about nine years ago when I had kind of a mental breakdown. Yeah. And I just I, I, I got rid of like two grand, 2,000 records. What'd you do with them? I gave them away. I sold some and I traded some for other records I wanted more. But my feeling was I wanted to yeah. be more mobile. Yeah. And I had this giant wall and I had these cupboards upstairs all full of records. And I thought, well, if I get rid of this portion of them, then yeah. I can be more mobile with this whole, which yeah. is which is absurd. Of Ridiculous. Course. Yeah. Now, do you regret it? You regret it? I regret certain records. Like what? Uh, there's like uh, like some reissues that I had. Like I had these Miles Davis reissues. Oh, yeah. And I had these John Coltrane reissues. Yeah. And I had these Eric Dolphy reissues. Oh, and yeah. And I thought, well, they're just reissues. Right. And but now, you, you miss them now. Yeah, now I miss them. And but, the, but I also, like, there are some records I thought, why did I get rid of that? And now that there's Spotify, I can play that record. And I go, oh, I see. Yeah. You know, so I'm not so... It's weird when you get into the vinyl thing where, where like you, I don't want to listen to it any other way now. Like, I mean, I like, I can listen in my car and stuff, but when I'm home, I'm going to like, I'm just going to put the vinyl on. I do believe you can tell a difference. I think you can too. But if you have people over, like if you're having a party or yeah. something, like I yeah, had a yeah, New Year's yeah, Eve yeah, where yeah. I would play a side of an album, sure. side of an album, side of an and album. And then you got to be on top of that all yeah. night. So what have you been doing, man? I haven't seen you in a while. I mean, we have a, yeah, I read, um, I read a bunch of punk elegies. I read, uh, I read a bunch of the new book. I, I could, I didn't have time to get through both of them. Is that going to be a problem? No, not to me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm so going to. I feel you may. I'm going I feel, to. I know you read the first one. You read the first one all the way through. Uh-huh. And then I you, I was on Air America with you, yeah. and we talked about it. it was Which one, The Hustler? The Hustler one, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I like that was a while back, uh, though. That we was were, like 12 years. That was like 2006 or something. Holy fuck. Was that out here? It was out here. It was See, out like, in the valley. It was in the valley. That was. That's where. Like I had. That's. I have PTSD about that whole period. Yeah, I bet you do. Because I, yeah, I, I remember what I remember the most. Yeah. was when I was over, and that, plus it's live radio. Yeah. So I was like worried. Like I have to say something now. I at have ten to say at something night. Now. At ten at night. We were like, it was late at night. It was like they put me in this weird placeholder situation where I had to wait around if there was a Clippers game on because they, yeah, I, yeah, it, to, to I had to wait till it was over. Yeah, wait for overtime. You just, right. Yeah. yeah it's but, like, but when I came out, Maria Bamford was outside waiting to go in or something. Yeah. And I was like, so, like, sort of starstruck. Yeah. So you knew who she was back then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the TV. She was on some, there was some sort of TV. Sh- you were on some show as well. Was I? A comedy thing? It was some kind of comedy, sort of panel talk thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, you would yeah. be on there a, a occasionally. Guest, yeah, yeah, guest. yeah, right. And maybe that's where I'd seen her as well. Yeah. But she was funny. You know, she was, she she appealed to something about me. Oh, no, I love I her. That I had in common with her. So yeah, I, I love her. her. I mean, there's something about the, the, the sort of like... Um, there's nobody like her, and then she can access the, the the sort of emotional insanity that some of us experience, and it just speaks directly to us. Whereas other people think like, "I don't get it." Yeah, you know, but it, I get it exactly. She's not exactly universal, but it is kind of a, a widespread. Yeah, like, like a, there's a disquiet that people are now realizing that that's because of the political situation. People are realizing there's this disquiet in, yeah. in society in being somewhat of an other. Yeah, and she had that from there. Yeah, yeah from there, and that's I, I kind of had that earlier. So she was always another that's the weird thing about reading the older books i mean the hustler book what was that called again T- uh prisoner of x prisoner of x that's right but the i i hadn't read the the punk elegies one and it, it's like once you start reading it and i, I know you a bit and i've known you a bit for for years but then i got to picture you like kind of sweaty and you in know raw and fucked up like way back in, I, and i deluded. deluded very deluded yes 
Yeah, incredible. Like I, I was just fall for everything. Anything yeah. like it, it was Oh, you mean you were a sucker? I was a sucker. I, I like this certain image. I thought, oh, this is gonna change my life. This is gonna make so much better. You know, like like I know, but you were there at the cusp of something. Like there's something That was exciting. Yeah, was but exciting. there's something about Los Angeles that I can't wrap my brain around. I realized coming back, I was in New York for three weeks and I was coming back and I was driving in from the airport and I'm like, I got no fucking love for this city. And then when I read I, I well, I didn't come yeah. up here, you know. And yeah. when I read your book, I'm like, these are the people that love this city. Because I do it, love this city because this city used to be like, if you have a handle on it and you like knew, know the nooks and crannies and you sweat it out in this city for 40, 50 years or your whole life. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's you. No, I've been here since I was eight years old. Well, you came from Canada. Yeah, from Canada, from the west coast of Canada. So west coast my whole life. Right. But this city, like the traffic and the parking, will kill you. Like the traffic right. and the parking. The only times I really hate this city yeah. is when I'm looking for a parking spot or I'm like battling traffic. Right. But I feel like this city is like it draws oddballs. Like there's still a lot of oddballs here. Like people come here to become famous in certain different ways. That's right. But they come in as different kind of oddballs. So yeah. it's like, New York to me, like the last few times I've been in New York, it's very conform. Like now, there's such yeah. a th- yeah, now like there's so much conformity there. It's yeah, like, we're the smartest people come to the smartest people where the smartest people are in the smartest place. I know, but is the like I was, I was looking around. I mean, I don't even know if that's the case anymore. Everybody, no, it's just everybody's a millionaire. It's just every, here I am. I'm a millionaire, and I'm going to dress like this millionaire. And it's yeah. sort of the the very uniform kind of yeah. dress code, right? And it used to be you would go to New York like in the early 80s or the, like I first time I was in the late 70s yeah. and it was oddballs. Yeah, you know, oh no, it, down the Lower East Side? Yeah, all I, over the place. I went to that, I went to see this new Warhol show and uh, it was actually great. Uh, you know, and I've seen a lot of that stuff and I thought I've seen it all, but they curated something at the Whitney and pulled together some mm. stuff that, that just, it was just beautifully put together and there was stuff I'd never seen before, but they had this video running of the factory, one of those kind of like dancing kind of yeah, velvet yeah, underground. Yeah. And I was looking at these people and the, and just the hair and the sweat and the, the freedom of it, that these eras that, that you lived through in the seventies, but in the sixties, like there were. People try to reproduce them all the time, but there's no, there's nothing like being at the source of that, and that'll never. It's not so much it'll, it'll never happen again. Something different may happen again, but this particular I thing, know, you man. can't reproduce it. But it was so human and sweaty and yeah. full of fluids and goo and, and drugs and, and a certain kind of hope. Like you really thought things like riding the, the line the punk of rocks, right. You've, Everybody really thought things were going to change. Like, like but, we, we all thought we were going to become millionaires. <laughs> like this is part that of the was deal. what you were gunning for back then. Yeah, well, not necessarily gunning for, but you just figured it was inevitable. How old because are you? Because you're so far ahead. How old am I now? Yeah, I'm 62 now. I'm 55. So, so you're like seven years back. But so you were really in it. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I was, I'm the I'm the same age as like like the Sex Pistols and the guy from Joy Division who killed himself. Like that age, like that year. I tell you, man, in all your writing, there's always somebody who's about to kill themselves. <laughs> a, somewhere in the corner, someone's hanging generation. from a rope. I have a ge- this, my generation was like a mess. Because <laughs> we're right after the 60s people. Yeah. So we have all the drugs, all the... Uh, well, let's go back, though. So you come from, you go to, you come down from Canada. Eight years old. And what, you were in Vancouver, but you have any recollection of that? or you Oh, do? yeah, yeah, I have a lot. Well, of- you wrote a bit in the new book. The new book's structure very interesting for, to me, because uh, you call it a memoir, but so in, in the way you framed the first part of the book, you know, uh, which was broken up in little 
bits and pieces of your past. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of your life flashing before your eyes? Fairly, fairly. Yeah, there's a chapter called My Life Flashing Before My Eyes. And then there's also like my introduction to death, like the first time I learned well, about Well, I saw that dying. too, but like those bits and pieces, I didn't know the title heading, but, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're dead. And then all of a sudden I'm dead. And now you're looking at your, your wife and her friends and your friends and how they're moving through your your absence. Yeah, how, how they carry forward without me. How, how does, how do you, how do you, like, right. why do you call that a memoir? Well, because like, I, they call it a memoir. Like mm-hmm. they, they, that falls under memoir. And part of what I want to do is I want to illustrate that whether every memoir is in fact got an aspect of fiction. Because uh-huh. of once, course, yeah. once you make yourself the the hero of the story, yeah. once you make yourself the protagonist, yeah. it's fiction. Right. You know, whether you're talking at a bar to somebody else, whether you're on stage, right. know, giving a spiel, whatever, sure. it's fictionalized. Of course. And so this one is like half of like like there was a review. This review said, you know, it's going to be it's some, something about how. It's hard to it's hard to judge the veracity of parts of this book. Veracity, meaning, meaning the parts when the narrator is dead, right? <laughs> they, they they want to judge the veracity of like, oh, my dog. This is this is this is being narrated by my dog, and they want to judge the veracity of my dog's narration. How does that? How do you? How do you? How do you? How are you qualified to write a review if you if you're going to judge the veracity of if, the you, dog's if you have trouble judging the veracity of my dog's point of view? So you, you shifted just, the point of view. Here and there, yeah. Because like at the beginning, it was sort of like there was an omniscient point of view. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, you're talking. Yeah. So then we go to the dog. Did you write it like the sound and the fury? Was it just colors and the smells and sounds? No, he's, he's a pretty <laughs> aware dog. Okay. He's a pretty aware dog. And he has a giant penis. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, he's named Bulger. Oh, yeah. And, and he's, he's, he's a good dog. He's and these are dog. your real dogs? Uh my dogs don't actually talk. You yeah. know, I, they, they, I, no, I but I mean, are, that, are those the names of your dogs? No, no, uh, my dogs are called Tippy and, and uh, Casper. And you changed the name of your wife, who I know. I changed the name and also a lot of details because it does, because of the fact that it is so fictionalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the same, she has not read it and she's not been able to read it. And she, like, Teresa, I, right? Yeah, yeah. And she, 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 she won't recommend it. <laughs> she, I find that happens with a lot of writers I know, even writers of fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently talked to my buddy Sam, and his wife is, is not, not thrilled about the new book. And it's like, it's so, it's so not offensive, but people, you, you know, they, they think about themselves, so they're going to take it personally. You yeah. Also, you worry what someone else might think about it. Like, mm-hmm. like not necessarily. Or you. Or like they're going to look at you weird. Like you, your friends are going to read Correct. it. And or she's her gotta... family, or family, or somebody. They're going to read it and go, "Oh, this is what he really thinks of you." When it's not what I think of any of these people. Like, does like, she know that? Yes, she, she knows know- that. Oh, good. Yeah. But everybody I know knows that. Like, like if there's a character, and it has like the, the, there's maybe there's some characteristics that are. Some, akin to someone I know. Yeah. That's a skin. Yeah. And all the, the, the motivations and the various failings, those are mine. Yeah, it's right, like, right. I, those are all, it's populated with my- Projection. Yeah, my faults, my yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah, and also how you see those people uh, or, you know, I, I- I stop seeing, once I'm writing, yeah. I stop seeing them once I do the physical description. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, it's not them anymore. No? It's, I have this physical description and then basically everything that fills it out, I've realized now, it's just overflow of my own like, kind of neuroses yeah. or my own like projections or what I would be like if I was in this situation. Yeah. Well, it's interesting I, that, that like I realize that it, it, framing as a memoir makes sense. It, outside the fictionalization of what's happening after you die, when you start exploring these characters, what if, if they are real, you are doing a lot of like past because you can build these characters out from the point after, you know, of the present when you're dead. But as soon as you go back, then you're dealing in a sort of somewhat reality frame. In a way, but I have like a like the wife in the book. There's yeah. this, there's this uh, circle of friends around her. Yeah, and none of those people really behave in a way that that if 
people go, oh, look, that looks like me. Yeah. That the people who it might yeah. look like have ha- behaved in the past. Right. They're, this is totally like even the past is like, 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 like it's my. Well, like, you actually went out of your kind of resentment you, and stuff. You went out of your way to have one of the characters that you renamed in Punk Elegies appear in the new book, and she kept the name that you gave her in Punk Elegies. Yeah, 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 yeah. But she a real person? She is a real person, and she is uh, a bit of a composite. She's more than one real person, right? Because I know I know some of the people you know, so I'm, I'm you know kind of bending my brain to. <laughs> Well, some of the people, like like the, in the punk allergies, like there's this guy, Black Randy. Black Randy's a real human being, you know. There's a, there's a Joe Strummer. There's an incident with Joe Strummer at the Roxy. That, yeah. that actually happened. Sure. You, you can find that. There's, and the guys from Slash Magazine, those are real guys. Yes, yeah. yes. But, okay, so going back. So from Vancouver, which I think is like one of the greatest cities in the world, uh, you know, you come down here. Do you ever go back up to Canada? Do you have people in Canada? Uh, well, they're all dying off. But yeah, my sister moved back. My one of my brothers moved back. We used to go back every year. The last time I went back was probably about four years ago with my wife. We went to Vancouver Island. Yeah, we went up to uh, pretty right. It's really pretty. We went up to this this place up in the kind of the north of the island. It Did, was, was it really Tofina? Tofino, it was Tofino. Yeah. Yeah. Tofino, I yeah. want to go there, man. They have a hot springs. Like I you know, take this I know. There's hot springs. You got to fly a little plane up there. You could. Fl- I flew. We flew the little plane back. We took yeah. the boat too and flew the little plane back. Is the, it great? Water, it's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. But you think you could have appreciated it when you were twenty? Uh, yeah, in a way, because I used to like to go out into nature and smoke weed. Yeah. When, well, well, maybe when I was like fifteen, more than when I was twenty. But yeah. So but we went up there. Also, we visited my dad because my dad was in a um, nursing home. In a place called Ladysmith on uh, Vancouver Island, and then in this book, the Now That I'm Gone, there's this this section that's the people that have stayed behind me. Yeah, and it's like my dad and my wife's mom. Yeah, and my wife's mom lived with us for probably like eight to ten years after she got dementia. Yeah, and so it's like those two characters, my dad in this nursing home after he'd had like these strokes, and yeah, so it's like you know it's the it's as far out as you're going to get while you're alive. Yeah, it's like the the far end of life of consciousness. And then interacting with me, and then but now that I, and it's told kind of from the perspective of this narrator who's you know departed. Yeah. So well, I, it I feels like at the beginning when I'm reading it because like I'm 55, but it, it feels like that you know the way you think about death and the way you experience it and what you've experienced of it as you know you've moved through the circles you've moved through, it's kind of pressing. You, you know, but you're I, like I feel a wrangling with the reality of it. That's the way it goes. Because, because with my you know whatever textured past, like there's been people dying since I was a kid, since sure. I was 16, and then a lot in the punk thing. But now it's like uh, it's 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 not it's not suicide and it's not drug overdoses. It's just natural causes. Yeah. And it's, it's I was saying that pretty much exactly what you said recently is. Um, Death is no longer a theory. Like right. this is, it's, it's like it's a reality that you kind of you grow into this reality, and it becomes like like I've always thought about death. I've been kind of I don't know if more of it, but it becomes like this uh, part of the, the, your living process. Yeah, is this awareness that people are dropping all over? Well, yeah, like I people, mean, I, someone connects with me on Facebook from high school. Yeah, two years later, he's gone. It's yeah, really I know. I've seen, I've seen a lot of people go to uh, you're not, not. I mean, kind of natural causes, but you know, when they're natural and you're not sixty yet, 
they're dubious natural causes, right? right? right. You know what I mean? Right. But but you, you sort of said something at the beginning of the book about how it's just always there. Like I've always intellectually dealt with it and I've had a fear of it, mm-hmm. but I, ha- I, you know, only rarely have I had a terror of it. Right. Like, you know, because you try to intellectualize it. Like, yeah, you know, I know it's yeah. going to happen. And, but if you really sit there and think about it, which I think you do in, in some points in the book, like if you're just laying there in bed and you really put yourself you know, in the place, like I, you know, most nights I go to sleep wondering, like, is this it? Is this, <laughs> you know, that, that's how I put myself to sleep. I don't really have a terror of it, though. I, no, I, I didn't kinda, feel that. Yeah. But like you say that it's after a certain age, it's just always there. Yeah, it's it, always lingering, like right there. It's lingering, and then you also like it kind of forces you into your life. Yeah, because it because. It's not that you you live harder to shut it out. It's just like, you, well, you, why waste a moment? Why waste stuff? Do you, like, do, but do you do you really do that? I mean, do you think to that some way? extent? I believe I, I I don't think I don't you know sit down and tell myself give myself a little pep talk saying you know you need to look yeah. you're gonna you only don't get so many here. moments yeah, yeah go out but it, if it is I can I can I can recognize it I can see it like like I don't hold a grudge as much with my wife maybe you know I hope I don't just jinx myself but but I don't I don't want to ruin my day I don't want to ruin an hour I don't think you can jinx yourself you have a certain amount of control over holding a grudge <laughs> it's not but, like but no but something can happen that I'll, I'll go back to I'll, I'll, I'll go back I'll, I'll revert. revert yeah I'll revert back to yeah. I don't want to revert yeah I, I find that if I hold a grudge now after being sober as long as I have that uh, it's 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 just the way it's going to be. Yeah, There's not yeah. many of them, and they're yeah. not they're not that active. Yeah. But if you if you let me think about it for a minute, I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah. But I, it's good. Like one way to deal with it, I heard very early in my sobriety, it's just like uh, that person. Just make sure that person ceases to exist for you. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, Det- okay. Detach with malice. Yeah. Det- yeah. <laughs> yeah, for- yeah. Detach with erasure. Yeah. Well, yeah, but there was some other thing that the other th- sad thing, and I think it's something I share with you in terms of thinking that, like, you, there was a moment in the book after you die where somebody said, like, he was just just getting happy. He was, yeah. just, just, starting to, <laughs> he was just starting to get the he hang looked, of it. He looked like he might turn around. <laughs> Things might really come together. But that's another thing about when you get to this certain age and people are dropping off. Yeah. It's like you make that turn. You got to make that turn. You, you know, know it's also <laughs> great is that you can see the uh, evolution and and the, the sort of um, you write uh, you know more confidently with more space. You write differently, more poetically between you know elegies in this book. There's definitely something more thoughtful. There there are spaces that weren't there before. Maybe yeah. I mean, I, I feel like um, I every time I finish something, I think, wow, this I've really I'm I'm, I'm almost got it. I'm <laughs> getting, you know, I've almost got it. Like there's yeah. a bit of an improvement, and then I look back a little later, and I like I see everything where I feel like I I like I fell a little short, but I'm pretty happy with it. I'm pretty happy with the way. It came out in the different thing because because a lot of things I'm trying to express there like they, they can come off as really like, like self pitying and maudlin and, and yeah I don't know and, and yeah. I don't want to do that like I'm trying not to I'm so I'm like very conscious of trying to communicate something without being uh, like uh, a bummer well yeah I don't want the book to be a bummer. Well, you know, it's weird. You do, you know, because I don't know you that well that, you know, and what I know of you you and what I've known of you for the last, you know, 15 years or whatever is just, you know, passing moments and physicality, you know, so like I'm just inserting a younger you into these tones and, and I, it it never, I never felt maybe a little maudlin, but I guess to me, you know, there's that weird thing where it's sort of like, are we being objective or or like i I mean because there are people that like don't think about this shit and i don't really understand them i i I sometimes wish i were them and as i get older 
some of the stuff that used to plague me or, mm. or consume me just faded away. Yeah. But I still think that like the- more outside stuff, right? Like more- Well, yeah, well, yeah. I like mean- other it, people's opinions. Other, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but like the, the sort of basic nature of like, why are we here? You know, what what is this struggle worth? Like when I see really old people just kind of like, you know, trying to get down the street, I'm like, that doesn't seem like a, <laughs> the big payoff that we're <laughs> no. waiting for. You know what I mean? Like, it's but, like- well, But there's got to be something else going on too. This is a strange thing with, with really old people is- uh, like their history gets erased. Like when you look at them, you, you don't see their history at all. Yeah. And you don't see what they've been. You don't see, like if they were in World War II, you don't see. But you dealt with someone with dementia. I mean, I guess I've been, I don't want to use the word blessed because it's not really blessed. I've been uh, spared. You know, both my parents are still alive. You, you know, I've, I, I've, I've been, you know, you know, fortunate in my life, uh, health-wise, relatively speaking, up to this point. But I mean, I, I know in the book, you certainly I've lost people I know, but to deal with somebody with Alzheimer's for a decade, I mean, it's got to be just relentless and horrifying. In a way, except that she it was such a sweet person. Yeah. Like, like you see a lot, you know, there's a lot of people so who get really a, angry. So there's a repetition of sweetness? <laughs> yeah. She, oh, well, yeah. Okay, okay, here it is. Here, yeah. I'll give you an example. Christmas morning, right? I mm. go, hey, Eva, Merry Christmas. She goes, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, she gets really happy. Fifteen minutes later, I go in. Forget. Hey. Merry Christmas, Eva. She goes, it's Christmas. She gets so happy. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, like that's like one day. You just sort of like, like giving her a hit. You she, could just do it all day you long. You do it all day long. And, but also, like, her core was really kind of like a, a sweet right. person. So, she didn't become menacing she or She didn't weak. become menacing. Oh, that's good. She didn't become all angry or resentful. And then I think she also, she was so appreciative of her daughter. Mm. And that her daughter brought her in and was taking care of her. Like, like, she was very, she had like this sort of core gratitude as yeah. well. That kind of like, a, hey, it helped. And it stayed she, there. It stayed there. Oh, that's great. It stayed there. Yeah. It's there still. She's in Montrose right now, and she's in a place in Montrose. Oh, yeah? And it's still there. So where in, in, in Los Angeles did you grow up? Uh, we grew up out in, the, what do you call it, San Gabriel Valley. Yeah. Like uh, Covina, West Covina. Oh, yeah? and, and like, I wasn't crazy about it. Well, the, the way you captured in the book, just because I, I, don't, you, you know, I don't know those areas and I don't live those areas, just the, the weird sort of sparse suburban nature of it. I mean, that, that's really where the, the L.A. kind of you know, punk aesthetic sort of got pulled out of, right? In some degrees, yeah. But there was no imagination out there. Because like, like, I'm talking about the East Valley, Valley to the East. Yeah. Like the Valley to the North and the West, like a lot of people there... Their parents worked in the movie industry or the right. entertainment. Maybe yeah. they were just gaffers or whatever. Right. They worked in costuming or. But, but they were start. They were part of the dream saw, factory. Yeah, they saw there was this bigger yeah, world. Whereas yeah. where I was from, they didn't even have that. It was what just was out there? Nothing. <laughs> there were the real estate offices. You know, uh, what do you call it? Mortgage company. I don't know. Just nothing really. Yeah. A lot of smog because they had this inversion layer. A lot of smog. Not much. What'd your dad do? He sold real estate. He sold houses. And my mom worked at a um, at a retail store. Like so a, when did you, so you were just out there with the, like listening to towny music? Well, I, was, I guess you were. It was early enough to where that at least the music that was mainstream or consolidated. You were there for like just post the the birth of the new shit twice. Well, I guess. Yeah. Well, I liked a lot of you know like Bowie and Roxy music and T. But before that, I imagine when you were a kid, because when I was a kid, so you're. Well, a kid. I had this stuff. Yeah, I had like that, um, like the proto punk kind of like the Electric Prunes and the Standals and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, because like the Beatles, what, when they're both fantastic. Right. Like Kings in '69, how old are you? Like I'm six. I'm Thirteen. So I'm like, 13. so that's all getting planted in. Oh a, yeah, my know. my. my or my test, whatever, it's all going crazy. Yeah, and, and then that you music get the Beatles. You get crazy. the 60s. Yes, yeah. And you don't have older brothers or older siblings. I had an older sister, but she was more um, scholarly. Oh, so she didn't have the records? 
necessary no, 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 to get no, you no. through. Well, even then it was radio. Like the, yeah. radio, the AM radio was was when you at that time you know you got like Paint It Black would come on. Yeah, Paint It Black at that age, was, blasting out of your little transistor radio is very crazy. Know, it's it, well, it just makes you feel great. But so that's going into you when you're 13. So then you were actually, also I'm reading. Yeah, like I'm reading because I started reading really early. I started reading like I was reading Dickens when I was like maybe 11. Like I read uh, Oliver Twist. Which is not like a like it's it's not a it's a trigger warning book. Yeah. I mean, like kids get hanged, kids get hanged, and as kids get hanged, other kids go and pick pockets of the people spectating at the hanging. You know, it's like yeah, Dickens was some dirty shit. No he way, he was great. Yeah. He also he like validated my because I had the suspicion that the people in authority yeah were kind of full of shit and yeah. that they they didn't really necessarily have my best interest. At thirteen, yes, yeah. yes, and you weren't brought up with any religion, really. Catholic, you were Catholic, yeah. Well, yeah. at least it's a, a rich tradition of weirdness. Well, Catholic is. <laughs> Well, it's like you reach this point, uh, a lot of Catholics do, where you reach this point, it's like, who are these people to tell me what it, what is what is what? You know, well, how I, do they know more than I know? How well, do, they, they don't. And you reach this kind of point where it's sort of like good and evil, yeah. right and wrong, like you know they exist, Yeah. but it's not necessary for someone else to tell you what they are. It's, it's a, yeah. I mean, the mafia is very Catholic, and look yeah. what they do. Well, yeah, well, they are actually very Catholic. Yeah, yeah. No, I get and it. And they execute know. because they, you know, it's like, you can't tell me. They have an incredible ability to compartmentalize, Alan. <laughs> Maybe there's some of that. But I feel like I I integrated. <laughs> I didn't compartmentalize. I integrated it all. Well, that's why I've but been. But I, I, I feel like it had a great effect on this whole Catholicism thing. Yeah. Like, it kind of like, I feel like it did get, so. I mean, I know there's a whatever, but I, I feel like it did get kind of a moral code. Like there's sort of like this this uh, what do you call it? Uh, honor culture? Yeah. The whole honor culture. Thing. Honor culture. Yeah. A lot of honor culture people are Catholic. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's sort of like a moral code. And if you Why violate do you think that the code, is? well, because if you violate the code, you know you're in hell. You're, you're, you're in damned. hell. You're damned. Yeah. yeah. You, you're so even get hell. So, so even if you like if you don't buy that shit anymore, the the system still, that was put in place. Yeah. You know, within yeah. your w- yeah. little world, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I, I actually have become sort of like mildly obsessed with the uh, the the logic and the intent of the seven deadly sins. Like you know, to me, uh, you know, I've just become fascinated with the idea because I, I once talked to Christopher Hedges, and and he said to me, he said, that, you know, they they weren't put there as a roadmap to perfection; they were put there as a barometer. For your for your behavior, like yeah. there was never yeah. any idea that you were going to nail this shit. Yeah, no, but, the, but the, here's like the guardrails. Well, yeah, exactly. But how did they pick those fucking seven? They're so solid, man. You know, like it's like it's not that you're ever going to get rid of all those, but you know, you know the, the the shit you're supposed to keep in check because any one of them or a mixture of them, once they get out of hand, you're you're fucked. gone. You're gone. You're 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 in the, either the spiral or the straight out slide. Yeah, with or without hell. I they mean, I'm not even really, a hell guy. You, no, no, because hell's like Alive. Hell's what you do to yourself. Hell's what happens hell to alive. you because of what you fucking did. We were in it. Yeah. yeah. If you if you're in hell, it's right there with you. Yeah. It's not it's not waiting for you in some distant place. No, or else you get sucked into some other one's hell, somebody else's hell yeah. on a personal level, a cultural level, a political level, a national level. I mean, you're, there's all there's plenty of hells, man. Yeah, but I believe like 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 the the seven deadly sins. That was really well thought out. Like I don't know if it was done by committee or if it was one fucking like you know really visionary. It's it's they're, they're, human being. It's but, beautiful. It, yeah. it, and it's like you know that and the Ten Commandments is like this is how society exists and this is how individuals don't destroy themselves. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. you know yeah. it's crazy. you could be okay. Yeah, Hand, you know, deal <laughs> yeah, with this. Yeah. You could be okay. And then yeah. maybe like the like the four absolutes. 
What are they? That's a, you behave with honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love. Oh yeah, I, mean, I think I have still, that. So little... layer that on top. I used to I used to go to work and I would I work at Hustler. Yeah. And I would put H P U L on top of my my little calendar every every morning just to like to the four absolutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep you in check. Just to you know. Just Not to the know. seven deadly sins. Just those. That you yeah, don't want, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't want to feel I'm guilty. Kinda, I'm kind of dealing with those. I'm kind of <laughs> making some. De- I'm making my money off of those. <laughs> but this other thing, perhaps I'll you know, I'll, I'll work with it. It's not on you, man. Yeah, you just put it out in the world. <laughs> so, okay, so you're growing up out there, and, and then so you're 13, and you you get your mind blown by that music, and also the things I'm reading, right, Dickens, and then like uh, like I got Kerouac pretty early. I got Burroughs sure, pretty yeah. early. Like I dug, I somehow like I Burroughs. You got to keep going back to man. Yeah. I get, you know, it's just like you're in a mire of like you you, you know it's a, a lot, and you know that like you know everything's in there, but you know sorting it out is no easy. Game. Naked Lunch was on a remnant. It was on a cutout table at Pickwick Books, and I got my mother to buy it yeah. for me. Oh, she didn't know. Yeah, she didn't know. She bought me that, and she bought me the Essential Lenny Bruce on the same day. That's and great. It's the Essential Lenny Bruce. It's just the paperback. Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, those are great. Yeah. The Naked Lunch paperback too, right? Yeah. No, the Naked Lunch was a hardback. Oh yeah. Yeah, Grove Press hardback, which got stolen from me at the Canterbury when I was a punk rocker. But uh, the Lenny Bruce, which just it was his bits, all his routines. No, I know. Yeah, just, it's it great. Really. Sick. Yeah, I, I have. And a again, hard. that was like Dickens. That was like a Dickens thing because they were kind of rich like that. You know, even well, it validates your perception that that, that what I'm being presented with by you know the authority the media right. whatever is not necessarily right what's really happening in my life and the lives of people that I can see around me you know that's right that's so, right you're pulling the veil back yes, a bit yes and it, because dickens was really about class and and lenny bruce was really about you know speaking truth to power yeah right yeah cuz i got that book i got a hardback first edition of uh, of the the, the, lenny the lenny bruce bit the essential Lenny Bruce, and I got it in, in a in a used bookstore in Phoenix, and there was a, a brownies <laughs> bookmark in it, like the, the the little Girl Scout, whatever the brownies. Because they, they must have had a book drive. <laughs> yeah, something. <laughs> Someone gave them that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have it. It's right over there. I, I love that thing. I love it. So when when do you realize something is fucking happening? Like when do you re- like what 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 is the thing that goes into your head? Was it? What was the radio station? How did you know that things were about to change? Because punk didn't happen for another five years. Yeah, right? like six or seven years. Yeah. So do you? But you you weren't hip to the Stooges or anything like that yet, were you? Not long after, like by seventy three. Really? Yeah. So you were well, there because the of be- Bowie. Bowie, like Bowie, like let you know about everything. You know, Bowie, like he produced that Lou Reed album. So then you got to go and grab all that Velvet Underground. Yeah. Stuff. He worked with the. Uh, Iggy on a raw power, which yeah. is like one of the most amazing albums ever. So then you oh, got to yeah. go pull out all the, you know, the yeah. all through, but the thing all that happened, here's the thing that happened on TV. There yeah. was this, uh, big rock show. Yeah. It was either from Cleveland or Cincinnati or some big outdoor show. Yeah. And Alice Cooper was on it. Yeah. And Grand Funk, whatever. And, and, and Iggy and they're, the ca- they're having a little resurgence. Grand Funk. But Iggy and the Stooges were on it and Alice Cooper were on it. Yeah. And they were both so transgressive. Yeah. That when I went back to school the next day, I had to like dampen my enthusiasm for that because everybody else was like, did you see those sick fags? <clears throat> really? Yes. Yes. It, it was like, like you couldn't just go, Hey, I love this because it was, it was sort of like reviled by a lot of people like Rolling Stone, for instance, if you can dig up the original review of, of the Iggy and the Stooges Funhouse album yeah. in Rolling Stone, they just savaged it. Yeah. They, they, they felt it had no, they had no excuse for existing. Really? Yes. And the same with Black Sabbath Paranoid. Really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because you do you do write a piece that I read the other day uh, about, you know, once, you know, Bowie became mainstream, that the experience of going to see him 
was different because the crowds the were crowd now changed. they were they were not transgressive. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first time I saw Bowie, I was probably it was uh, maybe seventy two. W- when or something. Rodney brought him here. Did no, Rodney it was bring- probably it was probably like a season afterward. It was it was right after Ziggy Stardust came out. Yeah. It was at the Long Beach Auditorium. I was still in high school. It was after Ziggy's because he came. It was, he was right. It was it was promoting Ziggy. This is because he was Ziggy. he. I think he came out here like before that. After right after Space Odyssey, he came here and no one really knew who he was. Yeah, and I think he just kind of hung around. I don't, th- I don't think he played any right, shows. Right. No, he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. I just read a screenplay yeah. about that yeah. period. The first show, I believe the first show he played was in Santa Monica Civic in '72. I didn't go to that one, but yeah. I have the bootleg of that. But when I went to the Bowie show like I, the the show was really in 72 yeah at, at Long Beach like the show itself which is beautiful and it really like when he played um, there were certain songs where he you know he got down on the stage and he really felt like he was talking to you and the oh, song you, you hang on it's like don't commit suicide just hang on you know it's like oh for the people who were freaks yeah, yeah yeah well then in the audience like I got out you know I'm going out and like I'm pretty young for the audience I'm yeah. probably in the lower like youngest You're like 14 I'm probably like 16 yeah 16 at this time yeah 15 or 16. Yeah. But, and, and then the audience largely was like, like they were like, you know, they were sort of drug addicks, <clears throat> sort of like very creative people. Yeah. There was a lot of gays. There yeah. was drag queens. There was, you know, Hollywood, like sort of like, you know, yeah. weird, yeah. skeeves, yeah. Like very skeevy. Yeah. And, and then I noticed that I wasn't afraid of any of these people. And I noticed that none of them, when they looked at me and when they recognized me, when they, when, you know, when, they, when they viewed me, had any malice toward me. Right. Which was way different than what I was experiencing every day out in West Covina. Yeah. So it, it just like I thought, you know, there's this place. It's going to be different. You know, yeah, I'm these are my to, people. Yeah, it's going to be different. I don't know if they're going to, you know, I don't know if they're all my people, whatever, but it is a population that I can move among where. Where judgment gonna, uh, wasn't part of it, that you weren't. Yeah, they're not going to judge me, and then yeah. if they do judge me, they're not going to like beat your try ass. to punch me in the face. Yeah, you know? just because they you're not like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an amazing observation. That oh, was a beautiful event. It, it must a, have been an amazing feeling. It was. It was. It was really a pivotal event in my life. Was a was a you know a rock concert. It was a David Bowie concert. Right, because like all these different people, and nobody's like you know, hey, you freak. No, nobody was at all. And that was like after and the, so in the music too. Like the, there are some songs I, I, on I Ziggy. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's like. But he goes, you know, something where he sits down, like, like touch me, or I'm, I'm with you, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, par- I forget the lyrics, so I'm yeah. paraphrasing. But, but I remember, like, just getting this feeling, like, you know, not necessarily him, but someone is. You yeah. know, someone is. And it was right. really... Someone was speaking for everybody yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to see that, that Bowie exhibit at, at the Brooklyn Museum, and I got I fucking cried the whole way through. Yeah, well, I saw it. <laughs> I saw it, too. And it really was okay. emotional. Right? Yeah, it's really I, emotional. I can't even understand exactly why. I mean, I didn't have that experience that you had, but, you know, when you go into that middle room where they have that thing of him as Ziggy, I can't remember which song it was, and I'm watching him on the monitor, and I'm just like, all of a sudden, I start fucking bawling. That's crazy. It was like, <laughs> you forget how important he was in your life. I was lucky because I saw that in Barcelona. We went on vacation. Well, I, you saw what? I, I saw Barcelona? The, the Bowie thing in Barcelona. You did. But it was great because I, I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. So I'm there and I was able to, ha- like, I didn't have to overhear anyone else's experience. I just had my own. And then when I start bawling. Yeah, it was like, pure. Well, well, fuck it, man. They're, they, they, don't, you know, they don't even speak. You know. So the, even the placards were in, were in Spanish? So you didn't even they, have no, to? No, they had them in different oh, languages. Oh, oh. Yeah, it was in different languages. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So you, you didn't feel judged that, there either. No, no. <laughs> well, who no. was going to judge you? I mean, I found that the well, people. 
Yeah, the people were great in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you felt like you were like, these are yeah, people who love that guy. Yeah. And then there's always those people. I and mean, they're, they're like, uh, there's too many of them now, and they seem to be shamelessly destroying the world who just, you know, don't don't understand it. Don't understand any of it. Don't I understand know. like this sort of need for connection. Like, and you, and, connection is the valuable thing. Yeah, and, and you were able to see that, like, you know, at the at the root of it. I mean, because rock and roll, I mean, in and of itself, like, was something different because a lot of those, you know, meatheads and gearheads and, and you know, people, you know, they sort of acclimated to rock and roll pretty good. That yeah. was understandable. Yeah. That that sort of, um, that protest, you know, that, you know, breaking away from, from whatever uh, the Eisenhower 50s was. But for some reason, a lot of them didn't make the jump no. in well, the late a, 60s. Well, there's a violence in the music, too. Like, like there is actual violence in, like, Under My Thumb or... Sure. Like, so many... Like, yeah, the, yeah. Those are violent beats, you know? So, like, there's, like, the jockey whatever right. yeah like, yeah yeah i don't i don't know i'm not sure yeah that's what they are the you sort well, that's of, the word that one of the words are used whatever yeah. you know but you talk a little bit about that and in, in, i think in this in the new book about you know sort of when you feel ill-defined or like an outsider in high school that you you start to accumulate or at least in, in you know inform yourself about what music is going to give you entrance into certain circles right. you know and like i remember that very distinctly that you know like you had the freaks you know you had the jocks you had you know you had top 40 and then there was a couple weirdos who liked beef heart and zappa yeah. and then when punk started happening when i was in high school like it didn't get to albuquerque until like the late 70s like a new wave happened in albuquerque before punk really took right, hold because right. i don't know we had to be mainstream first before people went back well it's funny because like the new wave it's uh like it was sort of simultaneous with punk like it was like people right. would, would separate them out because maybe it was a little bit like people were calling nick Lowe new new wave right you know? right Whereas right nick yeah Lowe, like i think he produced the first damn up and he was like there before he was there before, but yeah. But he became new wave. It was a strange definition that that new wave thing. Well, but, yeah. But a lot of the punk, like the hardcore, the more hardcore punk. Yeah. Like that was something that like, a lot of the people who originally were in the L.A. punk scene, like that, a lot of them moved out when that happened. The hardcore. Yeah, the hardcore came in, and like like people who like like let's say suburban lawns, mm -hmm. like suburban lawns were at odds with the hardcore. Oh. And uh, Why? Because they were more. Because the hardcore people didn't like them. Oh, you know, yeah. And they would like you know. So that was sort of a schism where it's sort of the, the, the more elegant and, and beautiful uh, uh, elements of what Bowie was doing you know, sort of became a, that ethereal, new wavy kind of, there was a whole world of, of that. In a way, but also like if you, like like Sid Vicious, you see, yeah. like there's a famous photo of Sid Vicious with the David Bowie t-shirt yeah. when he's going to the David Bowie show. Uh, the guy from Joy Division, Ian Curtis, loved David Bowie. Like, yeah, well, that like the, makes sense. Like the David Bowie influence yeah. on punk, I think is really, it's impossible to overstate. And I think, I guess, like it, 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 I think Mike Watt, when I talked to him, really explained it, that whatever people call punk rock now that has become a certain sound, yeah. whatever it is, that that really wasn't what that's a very that was just a strand yeah, of it. Yeah. I mean, it seemed that it was it, way more open initially. Right. That's right. That's yeah. what Mike said. It was. It was. It, it didn't have a sound. Yeah. It was just a a a realm in which anyone could do whatever they wanted. The same to with do. the look. The yeah. same with the look, and the right. same with the personality that you could bring in. Yeah. And the same with your demographic. So what was the? When did you uh, like? What what happened? How did punk happen here? The first thing I saw was this this band called the Screamers. Yeah. And they were. Did, they did their their uh, what do you call it their debut show yeah. at a, at a um, loft where a warehouse or whatever for right. a magazine called Slash right and then I was attracted to Slash how long had that been around at that time maybe two issues okay maybe one or two issues yeah 
And then, uh, you know, this is like like the Sex Pistols didn't have an album out yet. Maybe the Damned had had an album yeah. out, but I'm not sure. So yeah. like there were really no punk albums. Right. There was, there was a number of singles. Like the Sex Pistols had, had two or three singles. The Damned had, had singles. The Clash had had maybe two singles. Yeah. And uh, and the Screamers were in a local band. Yes. And then the Ramones maybe had two albums. You got I would say it started with the Ramones. Yeah. And I and I have a feeling that like a lot of people from England would agree. Like the Ramones, yeah. whenever they're on a tour, and all of a sudden there was, there was eighty bands. Yeah. Know, and so I, I guess it started with the Ramones. Yeah. And then here it was like the the Slash magazine became this sort of uh, promotional. It was like vehicle. the what was the one in New York called that Legs wrote for? Uh, uh, punk, punk, punk punk magazine. Yeah. yeah. I have some of those too. Yeah, those, yeah. those are great. Yeah. So, so Slash was a little later than Punk Magazine, right? Because Punk Magazine was coming out in when I was before I dropped out of college. It was coming out in like in early seventies. Oh, that late? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They may have even come out in seventy five, but the, I think the first I saw of it was seventy six. And and, and Slash, what were the, some of the bands that started to kind of surface right at that time in, in seventy? Yeah, in Los Angeles. Uh, the Screamers, the Germs. Yeah. Uh, the Weirdos. Yeah. Uh, the Plugs. Yeah. A band called the Skulls. The Zeros. Uh, X, of course. Yeah. Um, Circle Jerks? Circle Jerks are later. Circle Jerks were when Keith Morris got kicked out of or fired from Black Flag. Okay. Like that was a- when Black Flag was one of them? Black Flag was a little later. Black yeah. Flag was actually, you would, like if you want to go wave, Black Flag was probably the start of the second wave. Okay. And Black Flag is what then, um, uh, I, I would, you know, Black Flag was like the, the spearhead of what became hardcore and uh, like this giant, massive kind of influx of to, of uh, younger kids, yeah, younger, but you know, like by seventeen, fifteen, yeah, yeah, that age, and just wanted to burn off some, some they, of that energy. Yeah, they just wanted to bash each other up and like. But before that, it was a little more arty. Sort of arty, and the, yeah. you know, like like if you were like a gay person, did not hide that they were a gay person. Yeah, you know, was, and that it, was a new thing. Somewhat new, not new in the neighborhood because yeah. it was down in Hollywood. It was it was uh, you know right there on Hollywood Boulevard. It was so it was not you know the Gold yeah. Cup was right there. The Gold Cup you got like you know male hustler like teenage male hustlers out there. There's there's fifty or eighty of them. So in the neighborhood you didn't have 50 to hide. Or eighty. See like I you know, it would I be mob. Yeah, it was crazy. It was a like, because by the time you moved in, like you when you were in Venice and you were sort of distant from it. Yeah, like I just I kept picturing you working at that fucking shoe store and I just yeah. get so hung over and fucked up. I can't <laughs> I just can't imagine like the amount of drugs that you talk about doing in that in the Punk Elegies book. I'm like I was getting queasy. You know, <laughs> like, you know, just like how are you driving? What is happening? A lot of times I would have someone else drive. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I would I had this one friend who drove really well wasted and so yeah. he would drive a lot. He was the, the designated driver yeah. was only designated because he could drive well fucked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't like he designated to stay, uh, you know, not to be high. But, uh. So when he started writing, the first time you really did writing was for Slash? Uh, at probably high school like and junior high. Like junior high is when I first got some kind of uh, like sort of like feedback that made me feel good for writing. Yeah. And I wrote some story and the teacher made me read it in front of the class and the class all laughed at the places where I wanted to laugh. Yeah. And they thought I was kind of cool at the places they thought I was kind of Was cool. it a weird story? Did you Was that the time where your, your weirdness got celebrated? No, what? it was a story about um, trying to play baseball with this kid, like a pickup baseball game and, and how my at-bat went. Yeah. And it was just... Oh, uh, yeah. And then... And then uh, it was just like my the my thought process as it was happening and then how it played out as opposed to my thought process. Yeah, I, and I think the Slash Magazine guys, I think I saw them in a documentary recently. Maybe, I don't know if it was the Joan Jett documentary. I don't know. Because she was around too. The Runaways were around yeah, too, the, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you write about you know going to a party and she was there. Like, I just talked to her. I can't imagine what, like I just, like that, that LA. She was so 
the word I, I was going to say rad, but yeah. I, like it's not a word I use. Yeah. But she was she was uh, like an amazing presence. Yeah, she was really something. Yeah, and she was at like the the house where the X had their first show and Black Randy had their first show. It was this guy named David Allen had married this woman in Kitra. Yeah, and her family had a house in Hancock Park. So yeah. they moved into this house in Hancock Park, and it was the that show was in the living room there. And Joan Jett was at that. I mean, she knew where to go. That she, was X's first show. X's first show, and also Black Randy and the Metro Squad's first show. Wow, and and it was just a packed house full. It of, was uh, just a house, and it was in the living room, and it was just full of people. Like 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 Joan Jett was there, Pleasant was there, uh, most of X was there. Well, they played, of course. So I, I was just trying to picture who was there. Like Billy Zoom still had long hair at that time. Yeah, he had hid it under a hat, sort of. I remember like someone yanked his hat off, so his hair came down. Wow, and then someone else. Uh, they had a water bottle, you know, those big yeah. bottle, wa- those yeah. big, uh, what do you call it, water dispenser, yeah. full of, of wine. Uh-huh. And someone got angry at someone else and picked up the bottle to hit them with the bottle so the the wine went guggling off across the whole floor. It was, <laughs> Just smelled like wine? Yeah, it was, I don't know what it smelled like because I was beyond smell at that time. And then, <laughs> you remember these little details. I, I remember a little detail here and there. I remember being up front, like they had like a little slope in the grass by the uh, sidewalk. Yeah. I remember somehow I, I was prone on that and I couldn't, figure out how to get standing up so <laughs> so there was that <laughs> but i remember like you know joan jett being there and, and thinking she's something uh, she's something so so you so you wrote for swash for just a, a little bit and it, it was mostly so you could get into shows for free also i thought somehow it would be a uh, um, a connection to something else yeah and then uh, and then you also get free records yeah i didn't know what i, I figured like you know, um, maybe I'd be going around the world for Esquire or, or something. Oh, really? Yeah. So you had the idea. You're I had like, the idea yeah. that this is Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, yeah. This is going to make me really, you know, shine. And the drugs you guys were doing, like, I mean, I know X was into speed, right? Probably. I don't, yeah. I'm not going to speak for them. Oh, oh right. But I mean, like, what was the scene doing? I mean, uh, it was sort of pre-dope, right? Yeah, so well, I started out with speed and pretty quickly went to dope. Oh, yeah? Yeah, which is, I believe, like, what happens to most scenes. Like, it starts out sort of, like, a lot of alcohol. Yeah. A lot of alcohol. Right. And then pills, like Valium, some Quaaludes, of course. Oh, yeah. And then uh, meth. Yeah. Black Beauties. Everybody yeah. loved a Black Beauty. Yeah. And then there was green ones that were Benzery, so, so like time release. Yellow jackets, white crosses. Well, white crosses were kind of like uh, counterfeit. They were just yeah. sort of backyard-made pills. Were, right. But there were you know, a lot of pharmaceuticals. And then then uh, and then uh, needles came in. And yeah. So what you'd want was dope. But, but dope was very expensive then. In the late 70s? Yeah, in, in Los Angeles at least. It wasn't the black dope yet? It was, it was like... sort of like brownie, oh, blacky. Yeah. But it would be $25 a bag. And, yeah. and then, like in New York at that time, I think it was 5 or 10 Yeah. Know? So it was really expensive, and the, usually the potency wasn't what you were hoping it would be. Yeah. And this wouldn't just be for novices. This would be all around the city. You know, you, oh, right, so, right. So it was just everywhere. Yeah, well, so... The first wave well, well, that's, of dope. It wasn't everywhere. It was like it was, you had to know someone. You had to oh. go to their house. Uh, like like later on, like in the early 80s, With all of a tar? sudden... Yeah, all of a sudden the tar, and you could buy it on the street, and it was right. five bucks. Right, yeah. So the price went down from $25 to $5, and you, you could... Yeah, everybody it was a drive through. It was a drive through or a walk through. Yeah, everybody Luck- could die. Yeah, 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 everybody could die. Yeah. Luckily, by then, like I was gone. I was. You were out. I, I think I was out. Yeah. 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 So, 
when when I do, there was one bit, and I think it's Punk Elegies, where you go to the you see the the Jams first show, mm-hmm. and John Cougar opened. Yeah, Johnny Cougar, Johnny Cougar at the and time. And there was just this like the guys from the Slash Magazine were like, "This guy's fucking nothing." They just, they just rail. They took him up, but they deconstructed him. They deconstructed right. him there, you know, like under you know. Well, that's the other interesting thing is that like by the time you get to that apartment building, what was it called? The Canterbury Arms. The Canterbury Arms. Like, I mean, the way that, like, L.A. was situated with, like, because, like, I remember, you know, hearing, I kind of have vague memories of New York in the 70s, mm-hmm. but, like, I, you know, these different pockets of L.A. that were just chaos, man. They were just sort of, like, sexual chaos and drug chaos. It was, well, it was a lot, that area was a lot like um, Where was Times it? Square, was like, like Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. Hollywood Boulevard around Cher- Hollywood yeah. and Cherokee. Right. And it, there was a number of blocks there where all the bars were dangerous, really. Yeah. Like, looking back, like, in retrospect. Right. Like, like we were out of our league everywhere we went. We right. Didn't really, didn't really realize it, you know, like out of my depth. Almost yeah. everywhere I went, but was so full of myself that didn't really realize Well, that's it. part of what LA is. You yeah. got you know, you got to yeah. bring yourself to the table. Well, I went to school in San Francisco for a year or two year. Yeah. And, uh, like I would go downtown and get really wasted, and and again, like I like I in retrospect I realized like how much danger I was putting myself in, right? Because I would go into to bars or, or in the mission, or, like? oh yeah, all over, yeah, all, or up around North Beach, yeah. uh, Tenderloin, or and I would go into alleyways, I would go into bars, and I would be provocative to people, I'd be confrontational to people. And like these are people like looking back, these are actual like prison people. You know, these, sure. these are people who actually like. Well, that's what well, like, would would smash someone's head in for the you know. Yes, yeah. that's one thing I realized when I got sober, and I tell people is that like it's not you know it, it's not just you don't just have to worry about dying from the drugs or alcohol. It's it's the you exponentially increase your possibilities of getting fucked some other way. Yeah whether it be in a car or by another human, yeah. when you're in the yeah. circle of yeah. those things. Because your behavior, you don't know what the, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, and you don't know who you're buying yeah. from, you don't yeah. know what you're walking yeah. into, you don't know, like, you know, and you do it. Yeah, you do it. All of a sudden, you're you're in a hotel room with pirates and, you know, yeah. some guy with a gun, and you're like, no, I you're like, can you're I like, You're like, I should light this newspaper on fire. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the newspaper's on fire. And you're, how did the newspaper get on fire? And they're asking you, you, you know, it's like. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Who who tore the mailbox out of the wall? How the how the mailbox get torn out of the wall? <laughs> you know, they're all looking at you like Yeah. But it wasn't just me, like like the like uh, that area, like we were all kind of over our heads, you know. Well that it seemed like we it, didn't uh, really realize it. Somewhat of a lawless area, somewhat right. of a lawless stretch of blocks. And what was it how was it and what was the Sunset Strip like at that point? The Sunset uh was a little more I guess you could say upscale. Yeah. Like there was a little more control. Right. And then there were so many hookers on the Sunset Strip. It was, and and that continued for a few years. Like there was a, kind of a, a what do you call it, a, 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 a squat that opened up next to where Carlos and Charlie's was, and I don't know which is there now. But the, like the Mau Mau's moved in there, and a couple of other bands. But there were so many girls going back and forth that they would always be coming up, and they would be getting higher with us, and then go back out. But it was like literally at least fifty to eighty, yeah, like girls. If, in a like a seven block route crazy it was really crazy and then then uh, i think it became alcohol escort i think the mo- this is just pure speculation yeah but like the there was an organized effort yeah to to consolidate where the money came in and so right. they all everybody became alcohol and they were not seen on the in the 80s yeah yeah, yeah yeah i don't think it was a, a police i don't think the police managed to make that happen i think it was the, the, a, diff, a different organized sure uh, sure yeah the catholics yeah the catholics did it yeah <laughs> it was catholic discipline yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and what um what year did you write for hustler 
Hustler, I was at, I was a hustler from '83 to 2002. Were you sober, that uh, hustler? Uh, after one year. Yeah. First year, no. Then after that, like like I was, yeah, sober. '83 to what? '92. To no, 2002. It's a long time. Yeah, it was almost 20 years. Pretty much, like like I like my when I wrote a book about it, I said 20 years at because actually the interview process started if i judge if i count from the interview process to when i got fired it was 20 years so now, you know when you look back on that especially living in the culture we live in now and and what you know hustler was and then what he what flint sought to represent in terms of you know constitutionality and, yeah. and freedom to express whatever and and then sort of like pushing the the limits of of taste on all levels I mean, w- when you were working there, were you aware of that? I mean, was that part of the thing that you wanted to do? Yeah, it was part of the whole appeal. Yeah. Was, you know, you're going to... Push you, the edge? You're going to be on the front lines. It was very... Uh, it was very anti-celebrity. Uh, yeah. It was very, like, anti-cult of celebrity. It was very uh, sort of uh, anarchy. It wasn't really anarchist, but it was it was really t- kind of holding any any political, pr- any political power to... To answer, like holding them accountable. Yeah, and then it was uh, using the harshest terms available to you when you wanted to, you know. And then also there was like, uh, like with the photo sets. Like I met there was, it was interacting with different kinds of creative people that was really kind of amazing to me. Particularly a lot of illustrators. Like I met a lot of the illustrators. A lot of people used to illustrate, like let's say four or five were some of the original San Francisco underground comic book guys. I didn't read it a lot, but I mean, when I was a kid, and you, like Hustler was like, sort of like, that was a real deal. They, they were holding them open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the that, lights that went a... on there, and then the, I think sometimes like the, the color was sort of... Yeah, like it was insane. Like, yeah. And then the, the paper, that, that paper was a higher quality paper. Right, yeah, magazines. it was shiny. It was a glossy and then, paper. And then the, the color separations were done in Europe by the same people who did color separations for like the top jewelry companies. So it's, uh-huh. it's like people who needed like this, this gem to really show through in all its facets. Yeah, like want, that's yeah. who was doing the color separation for the hustle folks. So the, so the labia and the and the clit could like just sparkle. It, yeah, not just that, but they would be delineated from one another and yeah. you'd have this depth of feel. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Like, it was a lot really, of detail. There was a, lot of, there was a standard of, of workmanship. At Hustler. Yeah, that, that surprised a lot of people. And you were mostly writing columns? No, I edited the whole. I, I was running the thing. I started out as a proofreader, and then I was writing columns, and then I was writing uh, a lot of porn reviews, and then I became uh, what do you call it? Like I, like the articles editor. So that like the feature articles, I was editing those, and you know, recruiting writers and stuff. And then I got my own magazine, and I jumped to the top magazine, and then I kind of like. Did a little move, and I got control of like all the magazines. Were you there? And, you you came in after Flint was shot, though. Yes, he was already in the, in the wheelchair. But you had a pretty good relationship with him. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, like he was at my wedding. I was at his wedding. I think he really loved me because uh, we did this thing during the Clinton impeachment where we got the the uh, speaker elect of the House of Representatives to resign yeah. from Congress on the same day Clinton was impeached. And so, like the New York Times and the Washington Post, it would say Clinton impeached, Livingston resigns. And what's you know what why that matters is because like the House of Representatives is the prosecutors in the impeachment trial. Right. The Senate's the jury. So we had the lead prosecutor resign on the same day that Clinton. Uh, was well, how did Hustler do that again? We we hired we we put out an ad saying we want to know anyone that's fucking someone who's in the government, and people came to us with various stuff. And someone came to us with a name, yeah. and they said, "Call this 
called it was a, an elected official came to us yeah. with a name and said, yeah. call this name this is Livingston's girlfriend right and, and he's he, married he has kids so we called the name and she hung up on us yeah and then uh, the hill the, 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 yeah. the publication of Capitol Hill yeah. they called me and they said we hear you have something on Livingston yeah and I said well you know the the um, all the financial arrangements are in place and so I, I can't really speak about it openly right now uh-huh. and he goes we're going with it wow and then he went and and I went. I go. I wonder if he, he's he's obviously going to ask Livingston about it. And I'm like, what if? Because what if Livingston does a preemptive res- resignation? Because this guy named Dan Burton, also Republican. Yeah. Like a story was coming out in him in Vanity Fair. Yeah. And he preemptively confessed. Did yeah. not re- did not resign, but preemptively confessed. Right. And then within an hour, Livingston had confessed that he'd had this affair, but he wasn't going to resign. Yeah. And he wasn't going to give up his speakership. Yeah. But then, like, a news crew came to interview me, and they go, what do you have on Livingston? And I did the same thing, you know. The uh, non-disclosure agreements are still in place, blah, blah, blah. You didn't have anything, though, uh, but a hang-up. All I had a hang-up. Yeah. And he goes, well, we hear that he's having sex with a lobbyist while pushing uh, that lobby's agenda on the, on the, on the House of Representatives yeah. floor. Like, that's interesting. So then they, put, they mic me up, and they go, so what do you have on Livingston? And I said, we are aggressively pursuing indications that he's having sex with a lobbyist. Well, and then within an hour, he resigned. Because it was true? Yeah, 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 probably. Yeah. 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 When the book so that was out, a hustler victory. That was probably our biggest victory, <laughs> I think. And, and then here's what happened. Here's, beyond that, like Livingston's wife, because it was around Christmas, right? Yeah. Livingston's wife calls Larry directly yeah. and says, you know, Bob has quit. You know, you've won. Please don't give out what happened, please. And so Larry's able to say, you know, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm not going to disclose the details. Yeah, and he didn't have he it. He didn't have it. So he got to go on, because he's an amazing <laughs> poker player, he got to go this whole bluff. And so then beyond that, like anything we hinted that we had, yeah. they had to believe we had it. Oh, wow. So it was, it really kind of like, like we feel, like I don't know, if, I'm, I'm speaking for, for he's just, me and myself. Larry's myself. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You but, still talk to him? No, he wants. No, there's there's a problem. Mm. There's a problem, because I, like in the in the punk in the excuse me the prisoner of X book. Yeah. Like it's, he I I performed at a roast of Larry. Yeah. That he asked me to perform. Yeah. At. He insisted I perform at. Yeah. And then I got fired from there, and I haven't really talked to him since then. That's too bad. Yeah, he didn't. He his it didn't go over this as well. What you you, you busted his balls too hard. Well, I think that what did it, because I, I did a bunch of stuff about him being cheap, yeah. and he would love that. Yeah. But then I, I switched into this thing where I said that, in fact, you know, he, he, has a, he has a good game, he plays a good game, yeah. but in fact, he's the most pussy butt man I've ever met. Uh-oh. And then I went on some stuff about that, and his wife, I think it really offended his wife. Oh, really? Yeah, because she never called me again. She used to call me you know, three or four times a week about various things around the office. And, and, like, uh, and that was it? That was it. So. He got her mad at you. Yeah, kind of like, and then I, I don't think she's ever coming back. Oh, you know? wow. She's never coming back to the Alan McDonough fan club. Oh, well, what are you going to do? I just move, you try and move on, and you just like, you just like lay down every once in a while. And- Let me ask you a question about about that. Uh, like, you know, because it, I can't, I, one thing I can't, that fascinates me, I can't quite get out of my mind, was that there was some sort of like, and, and, and I think it is a hinge to, you know, what's happened culturally. Uh, in terms of like the, the complete kind of, and this is not a moral judgment, but but in the eighties there was a concerted effort on behalf of Christians and conservatives to to stifle porn. Yeah, and then at some point it's like no one talks about it at all anymore, and it's fucking everywhere. 
Like there is no like I never hear any kind of like you know right wing whack job ever. No one says anything about porn at all and it's like crack it's like everywhere yeah. and it's like you know i'm not again it's not a moral judgment but i mean i i just don't know how they change their tune i guess what because it becomes impossible i think it's because it serves a purpose now it does serve a purpose it's you know because otherwise these people who use they would be getting in relationships and they'd be having kids uh-huh. And you'd have these unhappy families. Oh, you, you know, think that's the point? Well, that's one point. It really is. I think it's I mean, like a narcotic. I think it's a narcotic effect. I think it's like it's something that that completely isolates people. I, I mean, again, it's not like I have no problem yeah. with porn. I know people in porn, but but it's like the fact that like it's you know I used to do a joke about it. Like some computers come with porn already on yeah. it. But here's about. the thing: like these people who are isolated, they may be better off. We may be better off with them isolated. Like rather than being out in the dating Maybe. pool and in the, the genetic, you know. I just think it's interesting that it, it diminished as a moral crusade. Yeah. Well, you know, it kind of what happened. One of the things that happened is uh, there was a like a like a coalition or a, a yeah between like the far right and then uh, like like feminists. Yeah. There was a, there was this, it was crazy because these there would be these bills in, in past like in Minnesota or wherever, uh-huh. and it would be like like certain feminists like really pushing it. Like in conjunction with some really far right person, but which what was it about about porn? Oh, about 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 how you know the harms the the harms of porn and and just the you know how it is towards society that it needs to be. So some feminists uh, were at on that page, and then there was a oh, another, yeah, 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 another no, faction of feminists that that wanted to appropriate it and be you know yeah, sexual yeah, empowerment yeah, yeah, through yeah, porn. Yeah, I feel like I have some memory of Trump saying something negative about porn when he was. Back in the election, I don't know. I, he seems like a complete. Uh, he seems like he'd be jerking off all the time. Oh yeah, no, I think he oh, yeah. was. I, yeah. I also heard that he was upset that he couldn't watch porn in the White House. I mean, I don't know what's real, what isn't. Well, then uh, doesn't. The, that's, that's, I, I believe that everything. Be we, I believe everything we've just said. I believe yeah. that he would attack porn and then still be like jerking off yeah. on, on Air Force One. That's his genius. The yeah. duplicitous <laughs> bullshit element. <laughs> yeah, you know the fact is, like people don't realize he has a genius. Like they, they, they you know, because he has because he's such a. Adult in, in many ways, or boorish, or whatever. Well, he, you know, he's an equivocator. So, like everything's slippery, nothing is true, and you know, the people that it sticks with are are all worked up emotionally, and they're making choices to uh, pick and choose the worst of what he's putting out yeah. there. And then to other people, he just discredits it, or he says it's not real, or I don't know, or whatever. But he knows that the thirty five percent of the fucking angry, scary people. Or like, you know, we know what he wants. And in the meantime, he's dismantling the government. Totally dismantling yeah. the government yeah. and trying to protect his own ass. Yeah. Well, trying to extend his... his, his uh, Business? His, his duration. Yeah. His, his term. Like yeah. He's, I, I, someone told me that it's they... It's hard to figure out what exactly he's trying to yeah, do. Yeah, but someone who had worked with him, mm-hmm. a, a comedian who had worked with him with some of his like timing and shit, he, like this, this person's take was that Trump is not sat, he's not thinking this is an eight year job. Oh, you talking about I, Jeff Ross? I might be. Yeah, I yeah. Might be. No, I talked to him about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. He says he's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I believe that that like I like that was something that I started to suspect during the election when I first started to think that he could win. He's never going like, to get like, out. He's never, not, never he's, he's not thinking that that he's going to have a two term or a one term. Like, well, no, he because, wants and also beyond. the thing is, is that like is that it. It's the only way he can protect himself now. Yeah. Because as soon as he's yeah. out of that job, <laughs> you know, it's just all going to come crumbling down. Maybe. No, what do you mean? Maybe that you know what? the state of New York is fucking. You know, they've everyone's got a case on the motherfucker, yeah. and the only way he can stay protected is if he keeps his fucking job. And we're all in trouble because of it. we're all in trouble. 
We're all in trouble. That's so the new book, did you uh, did you get some resolve around death in writing it? I think I did. Yeah? Yeah. I, yeah also, it, it kind of caps off my whole time in memoir, I believe. Because I have like the, uh, you know, the punk rock one, I have, the, and then the, moving on through the hustler, and then this kind of post-hustler in the, you know, the digital world working in, and just how that went, and then being dead. So like, I, I feel like unless I like come up with something like I cure polio or again or, or whatever, like I don't, I don't need to write another, another memoir. So, I'm, so what I'm, do you do to make ends meet? It's a tough, it's a tough, uh-huh. it's a tough road right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of like mooching. I, I do a lot of mooching. I yeah. mooch here and there. But I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm writing, I just different kind of scam here and there. Not a scam, but you yeah. know, like, like uh, <clears throat> trying to, you know, Put together like proposals, a lot of proposals, a lot of spec, a lot of yeah. spec work. Yeah. And then, uh, like, I wrote another book. I have a book that is pure fiction of short stories called Scary Parts. Oh, great. So, is that? Uh, then I'm always, you know, I'm always looking for some kind of job. Yeah. But, How's marriage going? You know, marriage is something that's it's a it's a. My wife would probably listen to this. Okay. But, but we did this. I talked to her. I had a conversation with her recently about it. Like, marriage is not for the faint hearted. Yeah. It's a tough grow. <laughs> you know, marriage, <laughs> yeah. like, you think, like, people say, okay, you're going to have to compromise. Yeah. And you think, oh, I'm going to have to negotiate better. Yeah. Right. right. But no, you're yeah. going to have to actually compromise. Yeah. And so it's, it's, Suck it up. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then, but not just suck it up because you have to be able to compromise and then still go. It's like we were talking about earlier. We're realizing that death is real. You know, right? Like you have to be able to like still go through, and not just be going through the motions, and actually somehow be present and be a contributor and and you know and and uh, like recognize the other person. Yeah. What they're giving to you and, and well, I think that yeah, right, exactly. And that and that heartbreak is always present. Yeah. yeah it, always yeah that that it seems to me that and this is realizations that i'm just having now i've been married twice i've been with someone a long time and you don't have kids either you you do realize obviously that and having read the stuff like you've been through a lot of relationships and all relationships eventually hit a wall of some kind to where you have to be tolerant you know there's no there's no ethereal kind of perfect thing there's things you have to wait out Right, you wait out, and also yeah. things that you, you know that, like you know, maybe you, you know whatever you're upset about or whatever you're not getting, maybe it's okay you don't get that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the compromise. Right, that's when you compromise. Right, but I've you know I've been with we've been married for 22 years, so mm-hmm. it's like the wall. There's been more than one wall. You know, you've been hitting the walls, and you realize like, like I, I don't. And know. you're sober too, so at least you have a language to process some stuff. It helps a lot. I, I mean, bet. the behavior would be so much worse. I mean, the behavior would. The behavior would have nullified the marriage if I was drinking or, or What made you get sober? I had a suicide attempt in a car. Oh. And then uh that... <laughs> And then I had like this this like I had this hallucination afterward where I, I thought that that because I totaled four cars with this one shot. And I saw dead bodies in these other cars and everything, and I, I just had this hallucination. Were there people in the cars? No, actually they were not there. And you tried to kill yourself driving into cars? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Why that way? Because it was available to me at the moment when I had the impulse. I was in the car. And you were high? <laughs> I was a little high, yeah. It was 0. 0.24 or something like that. But it was intentional. Oh, yeah. No, I was I was, I was, was talking while I did it. Uh-huh. I was talking. It was like, 
I, I, I had this realization earlier on that I ruined my life and that was because of my drinking, whatever. And, you know, yeah. I had chances and now they weren't ever going to be happening. Again. Well, like, but you, like in reading the books, I mean, you know, you, 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 you know, there was dope, there was speed, there was angel dust. There was, I mean, you did. A lot of alcohol. And a lot of booze. Alcohol. That seemed to be the first yeah, love. And huh? a lot of blows to the head. Oh, yeah. From falling down? Getting hit. <laughs> yeah, I'm running into shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so I'm in the car. I'm coming from a party, whatever. I'm going on uh, Franklin West toward the, you know, Ivar. There's a little hill that you come down to Ivar. Oh, yeah. And I had this epiphany. I realized that, that I hadn't ruined my life, that God had ruined my life. Uh-huh. And I hadn't had a thought of God, I don't know how long, and, and I haven't really had this direct thought since. Yeah. But, I, but, I, but I thought, you know, you motherfucker. You yeah. know, I had so much going for me, you fucked me up. Oh, you good. motherfucker, you fucked with the wrong person. Yeah. And then I decided, I'm going to come and spit in your face. And then I took my car and I drove it into all these cars. So it was, uh, it was sort of a, a dark white light uh, moment. It was a lamentation. Right, yeah. It was a very, you know. So la- you were going to die because in that moment you believed in God and you were going to show him. Yeah, I was going to show I was going to face go to and face. Tell him off. <laughs> you you ruined it. You ruined it for me. And then you know, then I had this hallucination that all these people were dead, and oh. I thought, oh my god, you know, what have I fucking done? And then when the cops were able to convince me that I was the only human involved, although they didn't really th- consider me a human at that point, yeah. and I just felt I had this kind of like, you know, elation in a way. Were you busted up? No, no, not at all. <laughs> my car was bent. My car was bent in a V. Uh. You but didn't, I, you didn't I, succeed at all. No, I didn't succeed at all. But the police, like, I got stitches from the police because yeah. they, they just beat the shit out of me. Because I guess my, I was talking. I thought I was dead, uh-huh. but I was still, I was, I was the talking dead, you know. Uh, and uh, I, yeah. I, I didn't, they didn't like what they were hearing. So. Oh, so they'd be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, <clears throat> this voice came to me and said, I'm going to get help. And then uh, I yeah, didn't even know help existed. But, but how, that's, old, how long ago was that? How long has it been? It's, it was like uh, 34 years in the end of May. Wow. So I was 28. That's amazing. It was the the pivotal point of my life, really. That and the Bowie concert, those two things. But 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 this even more, it's even more because I was, you know, it it was a kind of a desperate kind of like dragging through the days that was going on before that. Well, how do you like? Because I mean, there's still. It seems like there's still some of that, you know, in, in the new book, even that this idea that. Because like I, I've reckoned with that myself that that it's nothing's ever going to make me feel like I I did it, but I'm 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 experiencing success to a degree that I I didn't think would ever be possible. So a little of that is diminished, but it never. There's always something if you're given to that way of thinking, you're always going to find something to to exacerbate it. Yeah, something's always wrong. Right. Even though nothing's really wrong. But how do you do? How some, do you do that? How do you deal with that? Day by day. I mean, it's like it's an ongoing. It's an ongoing struggle. It, it really is. But that's another thing. Like when someone writes a book and it's a drug memoir, and at the end they have this this uh, redemption, like the whole redemption cycle. And yeah. Like I, I, I don't. You didn't I, do that. This isn't no, a drug memoir. This no. is like I think this is a, a meditation on mortality. Yeah. But, right. But the punk book, like, there's a lot of drugs. Yeah. In that book. But it, but it doesn't end with me getting, you know, this 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 white light experience and getting sober, and now I'm, you know, on a higher level, because it's because I feel like I'm still in the weeds to some extent, and I'm, and I kind of reconcile the fact I'm going to be in the weeds to some yeah. extent. You know, like I have an unmanageable inner life. Yeah. And that's the problem. My emotions and my intellect, like they tell each other things and they they validate it. Like 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 yeah. uh, someone looks at me away. I don't even know. It hurts my feelings in a way, or or, or whatever. You know, oh, that's the worst. I predict it, and then my intellect says, you know, you're completely right. You're the completely per- right, yeah, Alan. You're completely like everybody. You know, everybody is. You know, 
And then this they, is, you're locked out. You're locked out. Right, people but, are against but, you. But most of the time, they're not even thinking about you. No, it's, it's like it's a complete misperception. It's, it's a projection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's, lie. It's lying to myself. Well, it's just exactly what you did in the car. It's like, you know, at some point, at a pivotal like you decided in some weird drunken state that you were going to blame God instead of yourself. Yeah. And, that, and that's what that, you know, our brains do. It's sort of like those people are thinking this. And it's like we're the ones thinking yeah. it. Yeah. But I always want this. I always want this excuse to think that I'm unlovable. I heard yeah. this someone. Someone else said this. Oh yeah. That I, this excuse that I'm unlovable and that I won't be taken care of. Right. Well, and, yeah. And it's probably not true. I mean, no. I'm not certain. Not no. certain yet. I feel the, I, the jury's out. But I'm going to war. I'm going to act as though, <laughs> in fact, you are lovable in some way. And you will some be taken care. Way. You will be taken care of. Maybe not exactly what I want, but you know, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> That's the best we can do, man. Yeah, yeah. It's good talking to you, man. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, buddy. That was Alan McDonald. His new book is called Now That I'm Gone, A Memoir Beyond Recall, available wherever you get books. And now I'm going to play just one. I'm gonna. It took me forever to get through these three changes in this riff that I played through the Echoplex, the old Fender amp, and the reissue Gibson gold top. It took me a lot of time to do it, and it's not perfect, it's still me. Are any of us perfect? Let me just play this thing. <laughs> 